Our reading today comes right after the beginning of the story of Ruth. Elimelech and Naomi live in Bethlehem with their two sons, but a famine comes. So they move away to find a better life as refugees in Moab. Sadly, Elimelech dies. Then, after marrying Ruth and Orpah, the two sons also die. Naomi, Ruth, and Orpah are left to themselves. And this is what happens next, coming from the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 6 through 16. Then Naomi started to return with her daughters-in-law from the country of Moab, for she had heard that in the country of Moab that the Lord had considered his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where, he had, where she had been living, she and her two daughters-in-law, and they went on their way to go back to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find security, each of you, in the house of your husband. Then she kissed them, and they wept aloud. They said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Do I still have sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. Even if I thought there was hope for me, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you then wait until they were grown? Would you then refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, it has been far more bitter for me than for you, because the hand of the Lord has turned against me. Then they wept aloud again. Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not press me to leave you or to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. All people shall be my people, and your God, my God, the word of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to to God. God. Join me in a prayer. On this wonderful day, O oh God, filled with energy of, the, of young people and our families, we come before you in search of a word. Speak to us through this amazing story of Ruth. May it inspire us to become more generous people. We pray in Christ's name. What inspires you to give? When you hear me ask that question, maybe you think about an experience you've had at some point in your life that makes you, when you recall it, makes you want to be a more generous person. Or maybe you think of another person that at some point in your life has caused you to say, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like them. Or maybe it's something else entirely. What inspires you to give? The story of Ruth 
is a story about hardship and survival and overcoming the odds. But much more than those things, I believe it to be a story of inspiration, filled with inspiration. It starts off in a hugely tragic beginning, right? There's a famine in the land and the family has to leave and Elimelech and Naomi have to leave with their two sons. They go to the other side of the Dead Sea, to the country of Moab, a foreign, Moab, a foreign land. They are, in fact, refugees on the run from what was to what might be. They are hoping for some new opportunity. And then tragedy strikes and Elimelech dies. And just when you think that's all that's going to happen, the sons get married, there's a glimmer of hope, then the sons die. And in Job-like fashion, Naomi and her two daughters-in-law are left with nothing. They have no prospects, no way of getting by. They're left with zero future. What you have to remember is that in those days, the families that struggled the most quite often are the ones that had no male in the family. It was that kind of world. And so when the males of this family were were gone, there was nothing for them. They literally lost all possibility of a future. That's the situation these women find themselves in. And so Naomi does the most logical thing. She looks at her daughters-in-law and she tells them, don't stick with me. Go back to your original families. You've got, you've got better possibility there. You're going to be far better off going back to your, your mother's home, your, your original family. I'm too old. There's no way I can provide for you. So go back. And initially, the daughters-in-law, right, they resist it, and they say, no, we're, we're with you. But after a while, Orpah, for one, begins to see the logic of it, takes her up on her offer, and there's hugs and tears and crying and goodbyes as Orpah goes back to the family of origin she grew up in, but she does the logical thing. But not Ruth. Ruth does the illogical thing. Ruth does the baffling thing. Ruth does the unexpected thing. Ruth surprises all of us. Now we don't know all the details and the finer points of what legal obligation that these women might have had as widows of sons to their mother-in-law, what obligation would they have legally to their mother-in-law back in that day? With, I mean, it's a, and we, don't, we know a little, but we don't know a lot. I mean, after all, it is an interracial marriage. It's an it's Israelite family with a Moabite family, and there's traditions from both, and we know a little about the Israelite obligations, but nothing really about the Moabite tradition. And so we don't really... No, what we do know is that there was a certain obligation of, on, for them, which is why Naomi releases them from that obligation. Go back to your, I release you from your obligation. That's why it's mentioned that way. So we don't quite know what's underlying Ruth's decision to stick with Naomi. 
could be some code embedded in the page 574 of the Moabite family tradition law book. It could be that her original family's a bunch of jerks. She just doesn't, she doesn't like them. Maybe they're a bunch of lazy bums. They just sit around the couch watch TV all day. She doesn't want to go back to that. We don't know. What we do know is that by deciding to stay with Naomi, she gives up any possibility for a real life. She gives up her people. She gives up her religion. She gives it up, all of it, and removes any possibility for a real future. And that one act, that one single, generous, selfless act has huge implications on the rest of the biblical story. From that moment on, every character in this story alone is inspired, becomes inspired by it. When they go back to Bethlehem, Naomi tells Ruth, she says, I've got a relative in Bethlehem. He's out in the country. He's a landowner. Maybe there's something we can figure out there. And Ruth immediately says, yeah, so what I'll do, I'll go and I'll try to make good with one of the servants. And maybe, you know, if I can get in good with one of the servants, I can follow behind them as they glean the field. This was not an uncommon practice. This was, you could see this on occasion. A family that was literally destitute, had no way of getting by, would try to, you know, get a relationship with one of the servants. They'd follow behind them and pick up whatever was left behind the gleaning of the fields. They'd basically pick up the scraps. And so that's what Ruth did. And then one day Boaz, the relative, the landowner, comes along. He appears, and his first question to the lead servant is, Hey, who's the newbie? Who's the rookie back there in the back? Who is that? And this is where in the story you find out that news of Naomi and Ruth has spread. It's in the, the tone that the servant answers the question as if to say to Boaz, they're surprised that he doesn't know who they are. Don't you know? That's, that's Ruth. That's the Moabite that came with... That's the one... Where have you been? Everyone's been talking about Ruth and Naomi. Have you not heard? It's been on the evening news. It's been in the headline front page of the paper. It's been in every e-news sent out since the beginning of this whole thing. We've been talking... Whole town's been talking about it. Where have you been? News had spread. And from that point on, it feels, as you read this story, that the generosity keeps spreading. The giving keeps growing. Boaz is so inspired by this story that he hears about them that he begins to watch out for Naomi. He instructs, the, he gives her advice. He tells her how to do things and gives her ways to, you know, make their situation better. And then he tells the servants, make sure they're watched out for. Leave them alone. Don't let them, don't bug them. Make sure they, get, make sure they have what they need. Make sure she gets, he's so inspired by that. And, and, and everyone he talks to, it seems, has this willingness to chip in. There's no reluctant feel at all in the rest of the story. It's as if everyone around them can't 
wait because of what they've heard to chip in and help make this situation better. Giving does that. When someone gives, it inspires others to do the same. Generosity inspires more generosity. It's like a a virus. It's like an infection. C.S. Lewis calls it the good kind of infection. It's an image we've used before. It's the good kind of infection. He equates it to like a glass of water. You know, you have a glass of water and, and you drop one drop of something else in that glass of water and you can watch it spread. Slowly but surely it begins to completely change the makeup of the water itself. It's like that. When someone gives in such a way that inspires others, it's like a magic trigger goes off in us and we can't help but want to give too. It starts here. And it creeps down into the bottom of our soul and spreads all the way out to the tips of our fingers. The good infection. In the same way that hate and bigotry and selfishness is the bad kind of infection, generosity and giving is the good kind. The good infection. Giving that inspires more giving. I remember years ago when I was in seminary. And a friend of mine, I watched a friend of mine become infected like that. We all had been on a year-long internship. And he had come back from serving a year at a church in Corpus Christi. And he and I were driving down Guadalupe Street in Austin. And there was a homeless person there on the side of the road. We passed by him. But then he turned the car around and went back and pulled over. And without saying a word, he got out of the car, went over to the person, and reached down deep into his pockets, pulled out whatever he could find, and he gave it to them. Whatever money he had, he gave it to them. They came back and got in the car and sat down and we went on our way. And I looked at him and I said, what was that all about? Now, a Christian shouldn't have to ask another Christian why they just gave to somebody. But I couldn't help it. I mean, it was, my friend's behavior had shifted some, and I had to know. So I asked him, what was that all about? And he looked at me, and he said, I've just been a year with a church that does that kind of thing all the time. I guess I'm different now. He'd been infected with the good kind of infection. 
for all the evils of this world that try to tear us apart and pit us against one another. It is the good kind of infection that gives me hope for any of us. The kind of selfless generosity that Ruth extended to Naomi in one act that went well beyond the two of them and inspired and infected the community around them and went even beyond that. For if you don't know the end of the story or can't remember it, what happens is that Boaz continues to be so inspired by her, so taken with her, that they end up getting married and they have a baby boy. Guess who that baby boy becomes. Let me read it. Naomi, the new grandma, took the child and became his nurse. The woman of the neighbor the women of the neighborhood gave him a name saying a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse who became the father of King David. I know why the author made sure to include that information in the story. It's to remind us, convince us of just what one act of generosity can do, the impact it can have on the world in ways we never even fathom, the way it can infect long past we're the time that we're gone. You can almost imagine this infection seeping down through the generations past Obed and Jesse and into the life of King David and even beyond that continuing to be passed down in large and small ways generation after generation all the way through the time the Israelites are struggling and, and oppressed and back into exile and the prophets screaming at them and even through that this remnant of generosity finds its way all the way to the life of Jesus Christ where we witness God's giving in full bloom, infecting everyone around Him. And yes, infecting us. Thanks to Ruth, we have been infected with the love of Jesus Christ. It starts here. Creeps down into the bottom of our soul, all the way out to the tips of our fingers and till our very makeup has changed. We find ourselves wanting to give. We find ourselves digging deep into our pockets, whatever we can give. It's inspiring. The good kind of infection kind of infection that God uses to make this world whole again. What inspires you? Why do you give? As you walk through this week, may God continue to infect you as God turns your why into why not. Amen.